Hello and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance. IPA is a trade association and buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at IPA Group. Org. And in this episode of the IPA podcast, we will speak with Carrie Lavalette, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs, and Director of Advocacy Center for the National Community Pharmacists Association, NCPA. Before we get started today, Carrie, can you speak a bit about your professional background and how you became an advocate for independent pharmacy and PBM reform? Sure. And thanks for having me again, Anthony. We, NCPA really um, finds our mutual interests align with IPA and love working with you guys on advocacy efforts on the federal and state level and enjoy the partnership we've had over many years. As Anthony said, I head up government affairs for NCPA. So that's all our federal state advocacy efforts, grassroots, political. I've been in this field for over two decades now, working for different organizations. I've worked forth on the corporate side and also small businesses and CPA trade association, but I also worked for a larger trade association that represented corporate members. So I've kind of run the gamut it's the same job, it's just different issues. So, you know, everyone has an interest in Washington and state capital. So it's just utilizing all the tools you have, one of which being our grassroots network of our members and it being constituents and being able to move the ball forward on some of these issues. That's always been the key is the, our grassroots strength, to be honest. You know, there's an independent pharmacy in every congressional district in the country. So, you know, our footprint is everywhere and our members are well-known in their communities. So that really gives us a leg up when all these interests are coming at these legislators on every issue, not just healthcare, it's very important. And our members are really engaged and your members are as well. And that really, really helps us in these efforts. I just want to let everyone know that NCPA is doing a fantastic job in Washington, D.C. on the federal level. We're proud to be partners, IPA, with National Community Pharmacy Association. I've been doing this, you know, not as long as Carrie, but seven years on the state level. And I could definitely see that the tide is turning. There are some huge, huge things happening in Washington, D.C. It really feels like all of the work that you and NCPA have been doing over the last decade, it's kind of all coming together. This is a culmination of efforts. I really feel that on the PBM front with pharmacy benefit managers, drug pricing, and just contracting between pharmacy benefit managers and pharmacy, that the tide is turning. It seems like 2022 might be the year. Yeah, I agree, Anthony. You bring up a very good point. I mean, we've been working on these issues for a long time, and we always kind of said, especially with the DIR issue, it's it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Getting a government agency or congressional action to happen overnight typically doesn't happen unless it's a three alarm fire of some sort. <laughs> um, so it, it really is a testament too to the, the grassroots that I talked about before. I mean, I used to walk into a congressional office, you're talking to the health staff or the member of Congress, and they never even heard of PBM. So we just had to start with just the basic education. The, you know, the PBMs were really good at going under the radar. No one knew who they were. They're the fortune you know, now they're the 14, 15 companies that no one's ever heard of. Now there's more integration, obviously, with the health plans and such, but people didn't know who Express Scripts was or Optum. And now you walk in, not only do they know what a PBM is, they know what a DIR fee is, which is <laughs> like, you know, what a horrible name to try and explain what that thing is. But you're already ahead of the game. You don't have to spend 10 minutes educating them on just how the messed up the drug supply chain system is and the contracting pieces of it that, you know, has been really, really helpful. And it's a testament to 
what our members have been doing and educating along the way here. It really is amazing the sea change that's occurred. And when I started here seven years ago, most legislators, if you ask them what a PBM was, if you ask them what a DERFI is, if you ask them what wholesale acquisition costs is, no one would be able to tell you what it is. Now, they're all so educated and aware of the PBM's role in the drug supply chain and how PBMs increase drug prices, but at the same time, hurt community neighborhood pharmacies. And the only one that's getting enriched in this situation, not the patient, it's not the pharmacy, it's the pharmacy benefit manager in the form of billions upon billions of dollars. I mean, we're talking about just to let some of the non-pharmacy listeners know, pharmacy benefit managers are Fortune 10 companies. So if you look at the Fortune 500 list, the big PBMs like the Op- OptumRx, CVS, Caremark, and Cigna Express Scripts. We're talking about Fortune 10 companies. You have to go all the way down that list to get to Disney before you see them. That's what we're talking about here. And if you ever wonder why am I paying such high prices for my prescription drugs? Well, the answer is simple. It's just these three companies controlling nearly 85% of the market. But like you were saying, Carrie, NCPA doing incredible work. And one of the things that's really exciting is happening, I want to see if you could tell us a little bit more about it. The Federal Trade Commission is set to vote Thursday on whether to launch a study into the practices of PBMs, specifically into how PBM practices harm independent pharmacies. This is really important development that NCPA has been pushing for a long time. And now the Federal Trade Commission, they're currently accepting comments, which are actually due today by 8 p.m. But this recording will probably come out a little bit after, but we're still going to encourage people to write and tell the FTC their stories. But Carrie, could you tell us a little bit more about this? And in the past, it seems like the Federal Trade Commissioner FTC kind of turned a blind eye to this issue of pharmacy benefit managers. But now they're all over this issue. And what do you think is, the, why did this change? Why are they all of a sudden paying attention to PBMs, drug pricing, and the PBM role in drug pricing? You're right. This is a, a change from previous administrations. You know, this is a new administration, you know, with President Biden putting FTC commissioners in place. And they've really shown an interest in this, especially the chair, Linda Khan. And it's it's been a culmination of things. Like you said, everyone's hearing about the PBMs and what unfair practices there are. So you're hearing about it in states. We had the Supreme Court case versus PCMA, the Rutledge versus PCMA case that made national news, the first Supreme Court case against the PBM ever in the history of PBMs. And it was an unanimous decision in our favor. Federally, you've got senators looking at, I think there's just every place, legal, there's all sorts of things that it's it's brought to their attention. And also, you look at the marketplace, five years ago, not all of these PBMs were integrated with large insurance plans. You had rattled off the list earlier. The three major PBMs that control over 78% of the subscriptions filled in this country are affiliated with a major insurer. That was not the case. And then especially with CVS, you have the insurer, the PBM, and the retail pharmacy and mail order. So that, that one's even crazier when you think about it. So the FTC is looking at other industries well. They're looking at how all these mergers have kind of run amok and really aren't benefiting patients, at least in the healthcare space. So we're encouraged to see that. It's a real breakthrough. We've been working, like you said, for a long time to convince FTC, other agencies, the way the PBMs are behaving like monopolies and crushing our guys, the little guys. We just want a fair chance. So it's great. It's always the devil's in the details, but this could mean that 
the PBMs will have to turn over information on contracts, reimbursements, other practices, you know, patient steering. You know, that's another big issue that that really is just egregious, the, the steering to their own mail order. The patient should be able to choose. You know, that's just ridiculous. So like you said, Anthony, the comment period does end this evening, but there's going to be other opportunities. There's some other things we know that are coming on the horizon here. So there will be other opportunities for pharmacists to chime in with the, the commission. But this Thursday, they're going to take the vote. We're pretty confident they're going to vote to do the study on PBMs. They haven't done one since I believe like 2005. Don't quote me on that. I can get back to you on the exact date, but it's it's been a while and it wasn't in our favor, but they also weren't looking at the things that they should be looking at. But we'll be speaking and CPA signed up to speak for two minutes. We have a two minute slot. So we'll get that out on our platforms if you want to watch that. And we're encouraging, and I think you may have already sent some things out, Anthony. We have a sample template, just make brief comments. I know everyone's busy, but we just need some good patient examples. I'm sure there's plenty out there. Yeah. And I used to be a former legislative staffer and there's nothing more important for government officials to see than a large mass of constituents reaching out and telling them, look, this is a problem. This is what's happening to me. This is what's happening to my patients. They need to see that there is a outcry out there of pharmacists, pharmacy owners, and patients who are saying, look, these PBMs, they're overcharging me. They're underpaying my pharmacy, and I may have to go out of business if something doesn't change. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, a lot of people are talking about how COVID-19 really showcased what pharmacists, pharmacy owners, and independent pharmacy were able to do in terms of providing vaccinations, counseling patients, testing. Do you think some of this awakening in terms of pharmacy benefit managers and the role they play in the drug supply chain had something to do maybe with putting pharmacists front and center? Yeah, most definitely, Anthony. I mean, it it was our time to shine and we did, and we really stepped up. You know, the chains did as well, nothing against them. I mean, it's, it was all hands on deck. I mean, you need to utilize the whole supply chain. And I think it opened the eyes of several in the agencies and, you know, legislators around the country of, wow, they're stepping up. Just the sheer numbers of how this was rolled out so quickly, how many Americans have been vaccinated and it had to be everyone. You know, you couldn't have done it through one chain or through any of that. And it, you know, there's still some strains on the system. And I know our members are stressed out and (laughs) it's, you know, staffing issues. It's hard to, you know, we kept our doors open. We're one of the few industries that kept their doors open during the entire pandemic. And it really shined an eye on what a lot of states are doing too. And like, look at, independent pharmacies can do this with some of those PrEP Act amendments that the government made that allowed us to ease up on that system so we could get this this out quicker and because physicians were under stress. There's a lot of things we can do to free them up because they needed to be in the hospital. So it really did, really did. And we are hearing a lot about stress, especially stress within pharmacies and pharmacy personnel. I could personally attest to a lot of stories that I hear from pharmacy owners. They're being stressed out by pharmacy benefit managers now more than ever. While they're trying to vaccinate patients, test patients, make sure they're giving out all these important medications for COVID-19, like the antivirals and monoclonal antibodies and all sorts of other things. At the same time, they're dealing with these huge Fortune 10 pharmacy benefit managers who are auditing them, underpaying them, not valuing the work that they're doing, actually paying them a dollar for dispensing 
an antiviral medication for COVID-19. I mean, a dollar. I don't know how much more insulting it can really get. But stress comes in the pharmacy world from all sorts of different places. But one of the places that it's been coming from for a long time are the PBMs and the pressure, financial pressure that they place on these pharmacies, especially during COVID. You know, when COVID started, I thought just for a minute that maybe insurers and PBMs would say, look, they're on the front lines. Let's cut them a break. No, instead it went the opposite direction. They took full advantage of these pharmacies and making sure that they took a lot of the money that they've earned by reimbursing them just a dollar for the antivirals. And I was wondering, Carrie, have you heard any more discussion of that of PBMs and the pressures that they've given independent pharmacies during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that's been a big issue. And maybe we can blend that into a discussion on the DIR fee issue. You know, because that's, that's really the most egregious of the PBM practices right now that, you know, we're laser focused on. The administration is, there's a proposed rule that's out that we, we can talk about a little more. But the reason I think that happened is for all the reasons you just said. They're just like, this is ridiculous. These guys are stepping up. And the DIR fees, they went up again. The recent estimate, it's just, it's crazy, the astronomical number behind this, that the last set of data that we've got from CMS, the agency that oversees the DIR fee portion for Part D, is that over the last 10 years, they've gone 107,400%. That is not a typo. The comma's in the right spot. That's 107,400,000%. Wow. So it's just, it's not sustainable. Just last week, I had a member send this. I guess I won't name the PBM. I'm probably not allowed to on this. Yet. But our general counsel will probably come and smack me down. But we saw someone get DIR just last week on 2020 calendar year. So two years ago, you're telling me the PBM in two years can't figure out what your DIR fees are. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, and by the way, we're going to take it back from central pay in three days, not knowing what that amount would be. I mean, that's the most egregious I've seen is the two years. I've seen year, like one year, but I've never seen two. That's just one prime example. I'll stop there, Anthony, but if you want me to talk about the rule, I can. Or Absolutely. Oh, okay. I, I just want to tell the listeners, those non-pharmacists, pharmacy owners who might be listening, what a DIR fee is. So a DIR fee in Medicare Part D is a fee that a pharmacy benefit manager charges a pharmacy. What makes it really egregious is that they charge these fees after the pharmacy is paid. So just imagine you're at work. You got your paycheck every two weeks or every month. And then all of a sudden your boss comes back to you and says, you know what? I overpaid you. And it could be two, three, four weeks later and say, I'm going to take back $500. I'm going to take back $1,000. And there's nothing you can do about it. And this is a situation that a lot of independent pharmacies and most independent pharmacies are in within the Medicare Part D. They're working to dispense the medication to Part D patients. They're doing COVID vaccinations. They're doing testing. And then all of a sudden, you have these large Fortune 10 companies, the PBMs that we talked about, coming back later and say, you know what? We overpaid you. And this could be weeks, months, years later, like Harry was talking about. And they're taking back money. And so it makes it really unpredictable for the small mom and pop independent pharmacies to function in an economy, not knowing what your actual pay is going to be day to day, week to week, month to month. And this is where it gets really bad too. They're taking all of these money, we're talking billions of dollars away from pharmacies and none of it or hardly any of it is going back to the patient. 
to reduce the cost of the prescription drug. So, Carrie, could you tell us a little bit more about this rule that CMS is doing to try to correct the situation right now? Yes, I'd be happy to. It came out a, a couple of weeks ago. We've been trying every angle, whether congressional, regulatory, relief, legal. And so we're not giving up on the congressional piece or the legal piece. But as a quick aside, I think the last time I spoke to you, I talked a little bit about our DIR lawsuit. So NCPA mm-hmm. also has a lawsuit on this DIR fee issue pending against HHS, the agency that oversees it. And there's a stay in that case right now. We are granted a stay as soon as this proposed rule came out, because a lot of what this proposed rule would do is what's in the lawsuit. So we can take it back up if things don't go our way. But right now there's a stay that the judge granted a stay. I just thought I'd update you on that since we talked a little bit about that last time. But the rule itself, I mean, this is a very good opportunity that we have. And one of the main things, it would get rid of the retroactive nature of DIRs. Everything would have to be at point of sale. And so it'd bring greater clarity and transparency to payments. But there are some things that we've all seen this movie before with PBMs where they just move the ball on us. You know, it went from Mac to GIR to GER. I'm sure there is someone in a room at a PBM dreaming up the next, you name the acronym, to try and mess with us on payment, right? So what we really want to do is get some clarifications from the agency that are needed to prevent PBMs from gaming the system. That's really important in these comments that we're putting together and that the rule is truly workable. We're kind of on the goal line. I mean, this is sort of back to my marathon speech, but we're we're getting close. Getting an agency to actually address a PBM practice is really hard. So this is a first step in many, I believe, on this to achieving meaningful pharmacy DIR form. But we need everyone's help. We need pharmacists like the FTC. We need pharmacists to also comment on the proposed rule so that we get a rule finalized that has protections for us. That's really what we need because there's some concerns we have about how it was written. You know, we want to ensure that no more DIR callbacks allowed by PBMs and only positive incentive payments would be allowed after a drug is dispensed. There's some language in there about the coverage gap. There's a coverage gap loophole in there and that. We want to close that because it doesn't make sense to us, right? We also realize our members, this does go through the first part of next year. What they're proposing is this would start in 2023 is what the rule is based on. So if that does happen, we need sort of a, a bridge. There's going to be a smoothing process because there's going to be a little bit of a cash flow issue because they are retroactive in this current calendar year so that it's not all of this dumped on pharmacy in the first quarter and the cash flow. So we really need to work on that. I think, you, Anthony, you said you've sent something out on this. We have a sample template. What we really need for pharmacists to do is, yes, use our sample template, but we really need your personal stories. I mean, that's what really sticks out to these agencies. They're going to get thousands of comments. We're already at close to 1,800 pharmacists who've submitted comments to our system that we know about. But it's providing information about your pharmacy, like how many do you serve in your community, the services you provide, the number of Part D beneficiaries you serve, things like that. And then discussing the harm that comes to patients. You know, as you talked about, the patients aren't getting this money. It's not being passed through them. It's the sickest patients that are really being harmed the most and are paying for most of the benefit because they're going through the donut hole faster. So it's just examples like that or examples of, hey, I've had to reduce my hours because, you know, you got to make those business decisions. Just examples of things. Maybe you stop free home delivery for seniors because you just can't afford it anymore. Things like that would be really good. And just how it's really impacted your business too. I mean, we've got to make sure that's in part of your comments too, or if you had to reduce staff, you know, if you've had to reduce sponsoring the little league team that you used to sponsor, you know, things like that. I mean, they want to, we really want to drive this home 
And the more comments we get, the better. And this is a, a short turnaround. So the comments are due March 7th. And then I, I'll let Anthony talk about, it. I think he's, he's sent some of that stuff out on your channels, but I'll, I'll just pause there. We're going to have all of the links to NCPA where people can get information on where they can send their personalized letters to CMS. And like Carrie was saying, we're going to encourage all IPA members and anyone that might be listening to this podcast, whether you're a pharmacist, pharmacy owner, or just a regular person who is concerned about drug prices to get involved. We're going to provide those links and show you where you can go to send those personalized letters and your stories to CMS. Because like Carrie said, they need to know how's it impacting your business, your patients. Are you still able to get involved in all sorts of charities within your community? Or have you had to scale back because financially you're just not able to do these things anymore because these large conglomerates, they just take, 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 and they never give, give, give. So we're going to have all that information available on our website and in the email that we're going to have when this podcast goes out. Carrie, one other thing I wanted to ask you also was the wheels of government work slowly. And a lot of pharmacy owners, the question is all the time from how long is this going to take? But all of it is small steps. We're taking steps and we're inching closer to the goal. And kind of like what you said recently, it kind of hit home with me. It kind of reminded me of the Super Bowl. It's when the, um, the Rams were at the uh, five-yard line. They're right there. And you had like 30 seconds on the clock. But it really felt like forever. But eventually they, they got the touchdown. And like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast I'm really getting a feeling, a lot of other people are getting feelings that we're inching closer to something really big with all of these things that are happening on the federal level and on state level. They're really focused on drug pricing and on what pharmacists have been doing in COVID. Do you feel like, you know, we're getting closer to that goal line? I do. I do. And it, ha- but it has taken a long time. Like this DIR issue, I started working on this 10 years ago. That's when we started noticing it. You know, we took the philosophy of we need to use every avenue available. It used to be just, oh, let's just get Congress to do something. But now it's like, we need to get attention in the states. That gets attention federally. We need to get attention in the courts. That gets the attention of people. I talked about the Supreme Court, but there's other court cases we're involved in too. And then, you know, state efforts, like what you guys have been able to do in New Jersey is a good example too. You've been kind of doing the same battle we've had to get attention of the legislators and you've got some good things to share that are happening there. But it's getting all that attention. There's PR. I mean, NCPA has made significant investments on PR these last two years. We have ads running in nine states right now and in D.C., TV ads attacking the PBMs on these issues, and it's getting people's attention. I saw the TV ad. It was really good. Oh, it good. was really good. Good. But we're like, we're so close. We just felt as the national organization, we don't want to miss any opportunity. So like, we're spending a lot more money where we haven't before, but we're like, this is the time to do it. I don't want to look back and be like, man, if we would have just spent another couple thousand dollars on X, or if we would have just done one more thing, but that have made the difference. So we're kind of going at it at all angles. I don't think there's an angle that we haven't explored, <laughs> but. This is definitely a time for independent pharmacies. I think if they've never been involved, get involved and go to NCPA's website Find out how you can help because your state associations, state groups, and NCPA on the federal level can only do it with your support. 
And if a pharmacy owner has never been involved with NCPA, what would you recommend they do if they're hearing this say, you know, I really do want to get involved. I want to see how I can help. Yeah. I mean, if they're obviously a member, you know, we have all different varieties of, you know, but I think for advocacy efforts, it's really inviting legislators into your pharmacy to see you do day to day and and show the value to your community. And we can help with that. We have tools for that. I know that's intimidating for some people or they're just like, oh, I don't have time to do that or whatever, but it's, it's really important. They see this firsthand. You know, it's one thing to say on a call or a Zoom, oh, my GIR fees went up 10%. But if you actually show them behind the counter, the red, all the red, you know, and show them a drug that you've got DIR, they really get it. It resonates with them. And they're like, hey, Mr. Smith isn't being adherent because he's in the donut hole. So he's only, he's asking for half of his prescription because he can't afford things like that, that really show, show what's happening. We're the number two or three trusted profession behind nurses. I think we are. So they want to hear from you and we have tools to do that. I mean, we have a grassroots department that can walk you through. We have a guide on how to do that. Congress keeps turning over at a high number. So there's always opportunities to educate. And I'm sure your state legislator does as well, where there's always an opportunity to to educate them because it is complicated. The system is kind of complicated to explain to people. I think just showing them those real world examples, but, you know, sign up for our newsletters. We send out a, a daily newsletter and try and keep people up to date and obviously keep in touch with their state association as well. I mean, we have really good partnerships with all the state associations and we stay out of their way. And when we need to help them in a state, we will, and we want to be a good partner there. Um, And I think we have been. So that's what I would, would say is, you know, check out our website. There's a lot of really good resources on our website that can help you with, with all of this. We have talking points on all these issues. Or if you, you know, do have a legislator in your pharmacy, we can, we can provide all that and make you feel more comfortable doing that. Gary, thank you for joining me today. I think you provide some valuable information. I want to congratulate you and everybody at NCPA for the incredible work that you're doing. I've been in government affairs for a long time. Sometimes, you know, we get this gut feeling. My gut feeling is that 2022 might be the year. Seems like everything's kind of coming together. And uh, I think NCPA really deserves a lot of credit for making it happen. So, Carrie, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much, Anthony. I appreciate it. To learn more about the National Community Pharmacy Association, go to ncpa.org. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the president and CEO, John Giampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.